all this morning. Wonderful season of Christmas. Your opportunity, privilege to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what a, what a privilege and honor that is. I would invite you this morning to join me in the book of Luke. In the first chapter of Luke. Last week we started a short series um, starting with the song of Mary in Luke 1, and she sings of the wonderful blessing of the coming Messiah and the uh, glorious news that God had chosen her, the grace that God had chosen her to be the one who would, who would bear uh, his son and the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the um, work of God, the plan of God, that Mary was the one chosen and to see her song and to, to celebrate with her all of the events of that day. So we started with the song of Mary. This week we're going to look at the song of Zechariah, also in Luke chapter 1, and we'll also then move forward to Luke 2 next week, which will be the week of Christmas. Really, Christmas falls in the middle, so we get to celebrate it two Sundays, but we'll look at um, two different songs, I believe, the last two weeks before one, and then after Christmas, one as well. Before we get started this morning, if you would just join me in prayer, that would be great. Father, we do thank you for what this season represents. It's an honor to be in a place that worships you, that recognizes the significance of Christmas, that celebrates it for its purpose, for its real purpose, which is the coming of the Messiah, the one who would redeem a people for himself, and that you have called us and chosen us to be a part of that people group. We are thankful for that. Lord, please be with us today as we open up your word. Please help me to be clear and biblical. Help me to avoid any error. I also pray that you would be ministering in the ears of those who will receive and hear your word this morning, that you will help them to hear rightly as well. And ultimately, we will all be closer to you for it. We love you, Lord, and thank you for letting us be a part of your family and for calling us to yourself to serve. We give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. In the Christmas, in the spirit of Christmas, the giving and receiving of gifts are a significant part of the overall celebration. For most, it's not an abnormal thing to wake up early Christmas morning and to be excited about the gifts that you're going to receive and or maybe excited about the gifts that you have given to somebody else to see the expression or the excitement on their face. I can remember as a child growing up, waking up on Christmas morning and being uh, overwhelmed with the emotion, with the feeling that today is the day that we get to open all of our presents and we were excited about that. We would even wake up earlier than we normally did, and we would always go into mom and dad's room, and we would wake them up earlier than they normally woke up as well. And they were always so joyful to be woken up early, right? <laughs> Parents can understand that. It's always exciting to be woke up quite a bit earlier than what you would normally wake up. But that was Christmas morning for us, and... Um, as we got older, mom and dad got a little bit more strict and said, you know, don't wake us up before this time, right? So we would then have to wait for that time to hit, and then we could barge into their room and 
and wake them up. But I can remember waking up on that morning excited about receiving gifts. And then I can also remember as I've gotten older, I can remember um, waking up on, on Christmas morning with an excitement about people opening up the gifts that I have bought them. And the excitement to be able to buy that special gift and give that surprise and they open it up and it's to see the joy on their face, to see the excitement that they express is, is really invaluable. It's, it's what makes life significant and important. I can all, also remember as a child growing up not waking up on Christmas morning. Now, what I don't mean is I didn't sleep through Christmas morning. What I do mean is, is I did not wake up on Christmas morning because I never went to sleep. There were several Christmases where I was awake all night. The excitement was too much. And I had four brothers, and so we found something to do throughout the night to stay up until the next morning. Maybe that's not the case for you, but you can understand that Christmas is a, is a special time of the year. And it really touches us in a unique way and causes us to meditate on the blessings that we have received. And the, it, it's, a, you know, it, it's interesting because Christmas is a joyful time for most people. Even those who don't believe in Christ, who don't recognize the true meaning of Christmas, still find some purpose, they still find some joy, they still find some peace in Christmas. And I know that there are some who have very little blessings or possibly have lost something around the Christmas season that it's a little bit more difficult. But, but for most people, we would agree that there is something to be said about being able to enjoy the Christmas season. There, there's something uplifting about it. I remember the first Sunday that I, or the first, I think it was Saturday that I came in and, and they were decorating the church with all the lights and the tree and the different things. And, and, it, and my spirit just immediately was uplifted. And it was just, even just the, the atmosphere that Christmas presents. And going down, the, going down the main street of Hollister, right? It's not dull and, and, and drab like it usually is. It's got lights and, I mean, everybody is just like excited because this is this wonderful holiday. And that's the way Christmas is for most of us. These feelings only escalate when we are faced with a long-awaited gift Maybe something that we've expected for a long time or looked forward to for a long time. And we know that in that morning, there's not just the possibility, but maybe the likelihood that that day was the day that we were going to get that special gift. That one gift that we had waited for and, and asked for, you know, year after year. And mom and dad said, no, you know, we can't afford it this year, but maybe next year. And, and this was the Christmas that we thought, maybe this is the year that I'm going to get that special gift. Maybe this is that year, and the excitement begins to even grow. Those are the nights that you don't sleep. You stay awake until you open your gifts, and then you go to sleep after that. Maybe it's also the gifts that we get of great value to us. Somebody spends a great deal of money to bless us on Christmas morning. Or maybe it's a special gift on Christmas that somebody special gives to us, somebody of significance gives to us, somebody that's important to us. The thing that I can think of as a kind of a significant Christmas gift is, a, is an engagement ring. And somebody getting, getting engaged on Christmas and receiving that ring. And again, you have that long anticipation, you have that value, and you have this significant person, right? You have all three of those things coming together. 
And so Christmas, that Christmas morning, becomes all that more of an exciting moment. It becomes all that more significant because of the, of the significance of the gifts that you're looking forward to receiving. And the, the engagement ring, maybe it's not something, I don't know. Nowadays, I guess people kind of plan it before it happens, right? So you kind of would look forward to it. They kind of almost know. You know, you ask them, is there, you ask your kids, is there any, you know, any engagement talk or anything like that? And so you kind of know, they kind of know when that's going to happen and it's going to take place, right? So, so that excitement is there. Something special is going to happen. Either way, Christmas is a time of blessing. It's a, and much of the blessing that we think about with Christmas is associated with the gifts that we receive or the gifts that we give. The reason for this is because Jesus Christ is the central theme of Christmas. He is the greatest gift that was ever given. He was given to us, and we read about this all through the Gospels, four books of the Bible that were written to describe for us what Jesus Christ would do when he came into this fallen, broken sinful world and sought to redeem a people for himself. When we think of the gift of Christmas, we think of the extraordinary sacrifice that Christ made so that he could purchase us, and we get to receive that gift. And we reflect on that in this Christmas season. We're mindful of Christ and being the greatest gift, and not only being the greatest gift, but also giving us the greatest gift. John 3.16 is one of the most familiar verses in the Bible And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. An extraordinary gift that we receive during this season when Jesus Christ comes into this world. My question to us this morning, and it really leads me into where we're going to go with the message. It's It's built around Zechariah's song. The title of the message, the secondary title if you're taking notes, is when when Christmas is sacrifice. When Christmas is is sacrifice. With all the blessings of Christmas, what does one do when God demands a sacrifice? What does one do when God demands something of us on this very special day? With all of the blessings of Christmas, it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that extraordinary sacrifice was made that morning, that God gave his only son. Just meditate on that just for a moment. This wasn't just a gift to us. This was a a sacrifice for God the Father. God the Father was sending his only son, not, not one of many sons. One of many might have made a little bit more sense, but he was sending his only son, and not just his only son, but his only special son, God in heaven was making an extraordinary sacrifice on that morning. Not only that, but Jesus Christ was also making an extraordinary sacrifice. He was leaving heaven. He was leaving a place of perfection. He was leaving a place of honor. He was leaving a place of of wealth. He was leaving a place of having everything that you and I could ever imagine having. Jesus Christ was leaving that place. He left that place on Christmas morning, to come here. It is an, a Christmas is, an, is a story of an extraordinary sacrifice, of really two extraordinary sacrifices. 
What do we do? This is the question this morning, and this is going to be the the theme of what we're going to look at. What do we do when Christmas demands a sacrifice? What do we do? What do you do? What do I do when Christmas demands a sacrifice? And I believe that Zechariah and Elizabeth's story gives us a little bit of a taste of this. I believe that Zechariah's story and Elizabeth's story is, is very similar to that of Samuel, to Hannah and Elkanah, very similar to that of Isaac and Abraham and Sarah. I believe that his story, this story here, is very similar to their story because I believe that what the Lord is asking of of these two people is an extraordinary sacrifice. And he's asking them this He's not asking them, he's demanding this of them in this moment. So join me as we study this together. And I'm gonna, we're going to look at almost all of Luke 1, and I'm going to just comment as we go to, to possibly build the anticipation that, you're, that you'll feel, hopefully, that you'll experience as we see what unfolds here in this passage of Scripture. The Bible tells us in Luke 1, Beginning in verse number five. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. I just want to stop there for a moment and just think about what the Lord says about these people. Elkanah and Hannah were, were godly people. The Bible says that they were, in essence, above reproach. Um, they had followed all of the commandments. They had followed all of the, all of the customs. They had done all of the right things. These two were walking with the Lord closely It wasn't like in this situation you have two people that are being described that are walking selfishly or walking in sin and therefore the Lord doesn't give them any children. The issue is that these two people were very, very close to the Lord. The the, um, description of her being the child or um, the daughter of Aaron lines her up into the, the the Aaronic priesthood and puts her in in line with the priesthood. The reference is, is to her. Is to, is to her godliness. It is to her walk with the Lord. And, and the same with Zechariah and his being a priest at this time and, his, and him doing his duties is, is lining him up with the fact that this man is a worthy man. This man is a, is a godly man. He says in verse number seven, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They have no children. And this is a sign of, this is a, in the Bible, this is not a positive thing. The Bible, at the end of this chapter, or in the middle of it, Elizabeth talks about it being a reproach, that the Lord has removed the reproach from off of her. This is a reproachful thing. This is not a, a, a positive thing. Children, the Bible says in Psalm 127, are a gift from God. They're a blessing from God. And in the Old Testament, they were, they were the pinnacle of blessing. 
I know we live in a, a totally different generation today, but, but truly, biblically speaking, children were the pinnacle of blessing. They were the extraordinary gifts. They were the significant gifts. And somebody that did not have children was, was seen, was looked down upon. Somebody who wasn't able to have children was looked down upon, and, and therefore, they, they uh, in this case, Elizabeth was. She had no children. The Bible says not only that she had no children, but that they were advanced in years. In other words, that they were now, they were now beyond the ability to have children. They could not have children. In a few verses, we will read that they prayed for children, that they continued to pray for children. Not only was it not that these two were not worthy in God's eyes of being blessed, but it wasn't that they did not ask. They prayed constantly and consistently. We can again see, we can see Elkanah and Hannah praying for, for Samuel. We can see Isaac, or, 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 uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah praying for Isaac. We can see these women all throughout scriptures, these stories of women who were barren, and, and they prayed and they pleaded and they begged God for children. This is the case in this story. You have, you have two people who are worthy before God. They are walking with God. They are righteous before God. God is not judging them by not giving them children. They have asked God. They have pleaded for God. You can see the anticipation in this moment. These people, and to the place where they're now, they're now older in years, and I, I believe the implication is that they are beyond the ability to have children. They cannot. They have prayed. They have pleaded with God. They have lined themselves up with God in such a way that he would have no reason not to bless them. But yet they're barren and they aren't having any children. So they prayed much again and they, and they requested much. Go on with me if you would. Verse 8 now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the house of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, do, you, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard. What an extraordinary statement. What, an, what a, a wonderful Christmas statement to hear. This was not Christmas. This is obviously pre-Christmas. But in this story, in this pre-story, what you have is you have this, this, this promise that God has heard your prayers Zechariah, God has heard your pleas for a child for years. And the implication is, is this current plea, this current prayer, this consistent prayer, this faithful prayer. This news is wonderful news. It's extraordinary news. It's, it's news that none of us could really ever comprehend lest we had been for most of our lives without the ability to have children. And then God miraculously causes there to be life in the womb. It's an extraordinary gift. It's an amazing news, amazing news that they were going to have a son. The Bible goes on and says, and you will call his name John, 
And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So I want you just to stop for a moment and imagine, here's Zechariah, just put yourself in his shoes. He's just experienced this extraordinary news for however old he is. He has not been able, he and his wife have not been able to have children. The angel of the Lord comes to them and says to them, you are going to have children. You are going to have a son. And again, just feel the, the emotion that they had to feel in that moment. The joy, the excitement, the anticipation, the plans perhaps that they had set aside, that they had, that they had in their younger married years. If we have kids, here's what they'll do and here's what they'll be, right? Do any of us ever, do we ever get that way when you were younger, before you had kids? Did you have plans for your children? You're like, man, if we have a son, we're, we'll, we'll raise him up to be like this or we'll get him to do this and we'll... We have these plans and these things lined out for his life, right? And that's the exciting part of it, isn't it? It's not just that we're going to have a son, but it's like, oh, I can't wait to watch him on the basketball floor or see him throw the football or I can't wait to see him with, a, with his own wife and have grandkids. I can't wait for those moments. It's the, it's the excitement because, because Zechariah's dreams are coming true. Everything that Zechariah ever desired or wanted was was coming to fruition. But there's a pause in this story. There's a dilemma that takes place. There's a joy-crushing statement, or at least a joy-altering statement in this story. And that statement is simply this. His name will be John. His name will be John. What the angel of the Lord is saying to Zechariah is while I'm giving you a child, while I'm giving you this gift, while I'm giving you this blessing, I'm going to name him. You know how significant that was to the Hebrew people? To be able to, to, not only to be able to have the plans for their child's future, but to be able to name them. To be able to put on them their personal name that they had chosen for that child. This was not only significant in this situation, but it was, it was escalated because not only was this Zechariah's son, but it was his only son. So automatically, as we'll, we'll read later in the story, automatically it's assumed that he should be called Zechariah. He should be called Zechariah. There's no other name for him. He's their only son. He's their first son. This is what's customary. What the Lord describes to Zechariah in the next several verses is that I'm going to give you a son, Zechariah, but that son is going to be mine. In the same way that Hannah and Elkanah prayed for a child and God gave them Samuel, And the Lord said, Samuel's mine. In the same way 
that Abraham and Sarah prayed for a child and God gave them Isaac. And the Lord said to him, take him up on the mountain and take his life. The Lord was saying, he is mine. What the Lord is saying to John here, what the Lord is saying to Zechariah here, is I'm going to give you a gift, but that gift is going to be mine. This is a difficult moment for him. We, we can put ourselves, I mean, this is the moment, this is the moment in Scripture that makes sense to me. This is the moment in Scripture that says, that's what I would have done. That's how I would have felt in that moment. That's how I would have responded in that moment. Here I've just been told I've been praying for a child my whole life. I've been anticipating a child my whole life. And not only a child, but I'm going to have a son. You've given me this extraordinary information. And now you tell me that he's not going to fulfill what I desire for him. He's not even going to be called by the name that I have planned for him. But he's going to be yours, Lord. This was a battle for Zechariah. And sometimes in those moments when God has given us these extraordinary gifts and he decides that he's taking them back, he decides that you are done having them, but now he has them. Listen, Zechariah responds very normally to this situation. And I imagine, again, that if I was in his shoes, I don't know what I would have said. But he wrestles with it. He struggles with it. You'll notice in the next several verses, basically, the Lord describes for Zechariah what the Lord would do with his son. He didn't ask Zechariah, hey, Zechariah, what's your plans for, what's your plans for John? What's your plans for little Zach? Zechariah Jr. The Lord laid out what the plans were because Zechariah was having God's appointed messenger. Let's go on. Here's where the conflict begins. Here's where the conflict is revealed. Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? This is a very simple question that is met with a very harsh response. It's not, it's not, it's not Zechariah questioning God's ability. You'll think that when you read that he says, we are both old. The Lord is not saying to Zechariah, don't question my ability. Okay, if you just read the next chapter, Mary questions the same thing. Mary receives no condemnation from the Lord. The way the story flows is the, the context of Zechariah's struggle is the name John. That's the context of his struggle. You are naming him John, which, which basically means a, not a gift from the Lord, but a giver of gifts from the Lord. It was directly connected to not John being given to them, but the fact that Jesus would be the giver of salvation to mankind. And this would be the epitome of John's life. He says, how shall this be? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, and just notice the way that the, that the angel responds. The angel says to him, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. 
This is no insignificant response. The angel Gabriel is getting, getting Zechariah's attention. The angel Gabriel is getting Zechariah's attention. And he says, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. He calls, it's interesting, he calls this good news several times throughout this, this narrative. The angel calls this good news to Zechariah several times throughout the narrative. Anybody ever said to you, this is good news over and over again? Why would they say this is good news over and over again? Because you might not think it's good news. And behold, he says, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the time of service was ended, he went to his house. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in this day when he looked on me and take and to take away my reproach among people. So Zechariah is made, many believe that he was made deaf and dumb um, because he wasn't able to speak and he wasn't obviously able to hear because they were signing back and forth. So they, um, many theologians connect the two together that he was made he was made deaf and he was made dumb for a season, the Bible says, until this is fulfilled. And we'll see what this is fulfilled means here in just a moment. I wrote this little note. I was actually just rehashing things this morning. And I wrote this little note. And I want you just to think about it with me. The note is this. It's one thing to question God's ability. Mary did. It's quite another thing to question or to challenge God's sovereignty and his right to everything that we have. It's one thing to question God's ability. It's quite another thing to challenge his sovereignty and his right to everything that we have. The gifts that he has bestowed upon us are his gifts. It's like Job. Job, I, I, honestly, I was working through this this week and I saw so many Old Testament connections Job is another wonderful connection. The Lord gave him children. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed to be the name of the Lord. It's, it's his stuff, not ours. He goes on in the text and down in um, verse 57. We're going to skip over the part about Mary and, and her song. We did that last week. The Bible says in verse 57, Now the, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And the idea of it is, is that when she had this child, that the neighborhood, all, all the people in the community came. They all came to this wonderful celebration. They were all excited for her. Here is an old, older woman. Be careful what I say with the old part, right? Here is an older woman who is seemingly beyond the ability to have children, and God shows her extraordinary mercy, and he gives her a child. This is a wonderful blessing. All of the community is excited about it. They're all there to celebrate. 
right? The Bible goes on to say, and on the eighth day they came to the circumcision of the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. So you see, again, that we're going back to this name struggle, aren't we? The community has come together, and they all know the customary thing to do here is he's going to be named little Zach. This is Zachariah Jr. This, it's a given. It's, 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 it's not even to be questioned or challenged. The people come, you know, they've got all their little presents, and it's like on the little presents, it's to little Zach, right? It's already laid out. They've got it all planned. They're calling him Zachariah Jr. That's what's customary. If he is going to be a representation of that family, he is going to be called by that family's name, right? But John was not going to be a representation of that family. That's the struggle that we're dealing with here. John was not about Zechariah. John was not about Elizabeth. John was about Jesus. It's hard. Here's a dad being faced with this reality that I have pleaded with God for this wonderful gift. He has given it to me. Now he is claiming it for himself. We say, well, Zechariah, he should have been more spiritual. Yeah? (laughs) Put yourself in his shoes. And know this. What Zechariah knows is what Zechariah knows historically is that when God chooses and claims somebody for himself, like Abraham, like Isaac, like Paul, they suffer. They suffer. It wasn't uncommon for God to name people in the Bible, but what was also known is that every person he named was his. It was no longer theirs. Let's call him Zechariah. Excitement. Zechariah is born. Elizabeth looks at them and says, no, he will be called John. He will be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they had made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted to call so in other words, the people ask, Who's he gonna, what's his name? He's got to be Zechariah. Mom, Elizabeth says, no, he's John. The people are like, well, she doesn't get it, right? None of your relatives, Elizabeth, are named John. Duh, right? This doesn't make sense. Where's Zechariah? Let's go find Zechariah. Zechariah, what is his name going to be? Remember this, Zechariah is still cursed, right? So what we know this is the birth of John was not the fulfillment The birth of John was not the fulfillment because the Bible says that when the prophecy is fulfilled, the curse or the the condemnation that he was under would be removed, right? So in this moment, he is still under this condemnation. True? So what changes that releases this condemnation? Zechariah says, give me a writing pad. He doesn't say it because he can't, right? Give me a writing pad in sign language. Give me a writing pad. The Bible says, and he wrote down on this tablet, his name is John. His name is John. He's the Lord's. He's not mine. He's not Elizabeth's. He's the Lord's. Again, This is a difficult moment. Zechariah has come to this conclusion that that John 
was a gift from God for God. John was a gift from God for God. He goes on and says, and they all wondered. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spake blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill countries of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of God was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, and now we're to his song. Can we stop for a moment before we go into his song and just take in this moment? This is a nine-month season from the time of his being made deaf and, and dumb to this moment. He's had nine months to ponder this. He's had nine months to meditate on this. He's had nine months to pray over this. And now he comes to this moment, and these are the first words out of his mouth. I, I, I would suggest to you, and this is just my own speculation, but I would suggest that these were significant words. This was not John, this was not Zechariah in his a moment with the angel where he's in the flesh anymore. Where he's just spouting out what comes to his mind. This is John under the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to just give you three thoughts, if you would, with me, if you'll bear with me for a few more moments. Three thoughts that will help us in that moment when we realize that everything that we get for Christmas, when you open your presents this year, I, I would submit to you that very few of us have thought about the impact our presents will have on God's kingdom. I would submit to you that very few of us have thought when we went to the store, how can I purchase something that's going to impact the global message of the gospel? This is not just a present that's sitting under a tree. This is a child that God says, he's mine. Right? Imagine giving your kids a gift on Christmas, right? The gift that they've waited for their whole life. They begged every year for it. They prayed for it. They pleaded for it. Imagine that this morning you are gonna, they're going to open this extraordinary gift under the tree that, they, that you are amazed to give them and that they are going to be amazed to receive. And when they open it up, you say to them, that's my gift. Imagine that moment. That's what Zechariah experienced. But after nine months of meditation, his heart changed. His attitude changed. His direction changed. All I want to give you this morning is some things for you to think about as you open your presence this year at Christmas. As you deal with struggles in life and difficulties in life, maybe disappointments in life. Maybe you have received something and have it taken away. Maybe there's something being taken away from you even right now as we speak. There are some things that God gives us in this story to help us embrace God's sovereignty and his right to everything that we have. So let's look at it together. Three things. The Bible says, first of all, 
that he was a pursuit, a pursuit of Christ's power was significant to Zechariah's response. There are two things about Zechariah's response that are really somewhat just practical. First of all, that you have to acknowledge that Zechariah's response was not natural. It was not something that he would naturally do. If we, we would think about reading this story, we would think about the natural response would have been for Zechariah to praise Elizabeth for how great a job she did, right? To praise Elizabeth, right? Just think with me for a moment. If you have children, think about the moment that your wife has had these children. What are the words that are going to come out of your mouth to encourage her, right? To uplift her. What are the things that are going to come out of your mouth? This would have been the natural response to the birth of John. Or maybe just praising John. Oh my goodness, look how beautiful this child is. And raising him up and, and, and talking about maybe what he will accomplish and what he will do. And look at his coloring. He doesn't have any jaundice. And, you know, that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> he, he, he's so amazing. And you would think that would be the natural response, right? Look at my wonderful, my wonderful child. He's beautiful. I love him so much. That would have been the natural response. Or I can't wait to see him do this or do that. Imagine with you, imagine with me for a moment that the first words out of a, a man's mouth whose wife has just given birth to a son whom she has prayed for and was seemingly helpless to birth her. Imagine that the first words out of his mouth was to praise a baby in another woman's womb. This is super significant. When he opens his mouth, praise doesn't come out for John. Praise doesn't come out for Elizabeth. Praise doesn't come out for himself. Praise comes out for the Messiah, for Jesus Christ. This is not a natural response. This is a supernatural response. This is not the response that I would have. It's the response that somebody who is walking in the Spirit would have. So the pursuit of Christ's power is just simply twofold. It is nine months of meditation and prayer, and it is being filled with the Holy Spirit. The only way that we're going to respond properly when we have taken away from us what we consider to be our greatest treasure is if we're walking in the Spirit of God. This is what it says here. It says that he was filled with the Spirit. God's spirit was in complete control. When Zechariah opens his mouth, he opens his mouth to speak the words of God. And he was full of the spirit after nine months. I believe, and the scriptures doesn't, doesn't clearly tell us this, but I believe that Zechariah was a man of God, and therefore those nine months were spent in meditation and study. But he wanted to understand what this is about. And this is what brought him to a place where he was full of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to respond properly in sacrificial moments, when Christmas demands a sacrifice, we have got to be full of the Holy Spirit, which is a result, maybe not of nine months of meditation and prayer, but maybe it's a result of one month of meditation and prayer. Maybe it's Psalms 1 where the Bible says that they who meditate on the word day and night... If we're going to respond properly, we're going to have to pursue Christ's power in those moments. Number two, this comes directly from the song. So 
I'm going to read it with you, uh, for you and follow along. Blessed or blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Speaking of Christ, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. You'll notice as you read through this, the past tense of the phrase or the terms used to describe the fact that in Christ's birth, these things are as if they have already happened. That's how, that's how guaranteed they are. He has visited and redeemed his people, which we know he's still in Mary's womb. Therefore, it hasn't occurred, but it's going to. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his uh, holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. He proclaims Christ's praise. The first words out of his mouth is to proclaim Christ's praise. How does Zechariah proclaim Christ's praise? Number one, he had to embrace the fact that the most important thing in life wasn't him. Zechariah had to face the fact that the most important thing in life wasn't him, it wasn't Elizabeth, and it wasn't John. But the most important thing in life was in Mary's womb, and that was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who would come to redeem us from our sins. Colossians 1.16, the Bible says, For by him, Jesus... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and all things were created for him. Zechariah had to come to grips with the fact that it wasn't about him. It wasn't about John and it wasn't about Elizabeth. It was about Jesus. Zechariah had to accept the fact that Jesus Christ had a bigger purpose. You'll see in this passage of Scripture all of the unfolding of the redemptive work of Christ. Everything that Christ was going to do to redeem his people. Just imagine with me for a moment, Zechariah in his mind goes through nine months and he, he compares his plans for John to God's plans for Jesus. He compares the outcome of what he has planned for John. He compares the significance of what he has planned for John. He compares the, the outcome of what he has planned for what God has planned for Christ. He compares the significance of what God has planned for Christ. And in the end, John compares himself to Jesus and he says, his footstraps I'm not even worthy to buckle. You see, we must get the idea, we must adopt and understand and accept the reality that God's plan is bigger than ours. God's work is bigger than ours. God's significance is bigger than ours. We must acknowledge that if we're going to let him take away from us the things that he has blessed us with, we must accept that he has better plans and bigger plans for those things that we hold on to tightly. Imagine all of your plans for your children and compare them to God's plans for Jesus. This is a significant thing. He had to accept that God had a bigger purpose. Jesus was going to redeem his people. 
Jesus Christ was going to save the world. I thought about this as I was working through this. It's like, you know what? John was probably going to bring happiness to their family, right? John was probably going to bring peace to their family. John was probably going to bring joy to their family. John was probably going to do this and this and this and this, but it would never compare to what Christ would accomplish. We're never going to let go, folks, until we embrace that Christ's purposes are bigger. He came to redeem the world. He came to save his people from their sins. He came to purchase the people for himself. He came to save an unsavable people. The Lord had a bigger plan. Not only did he have to accept that, Zechariah also had to accept that Jesus Christ had a deeper transformation. Notice he says in this that we, in verse number 74, the oath that we swore by our fathers Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. This refers to the transformation power of Christ. He is not going to just change our circumstances and change our situation. He's going to change the very core of who we are. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus Christ is going to turn darkness into light. He's going to turn guilt into innocence. He's going to turn sinful into saints. He's going to turn unrighteous into righteous. He's going to turn black into white. He's going to turn guilty into innocent. Jesus Christ is going to accomplish these things. Can any of us accomplish any of those things? impossible. Zechariah had to accept that Jesus had a deeper and bolder impact on the world than what John would ever dream of having. And then the last thing is he would have a broader reach. Jesus Christ did not just come into the world for a small group, but Jesus Christ came into the world to impact all of the world. Seven plus billion people What we think of most of the time when we think of Jesus is how he impacts us. Maybe our blessings of our family. Possibly we might look at it from the perspective of our church and maybe our community. But I want you to know something. Jesus Christ's focus is bigger than all of that. See, why we put such an amazing focus on one person in any situation, it might be in a church, you might have a personality that everybody hovers around and follows, and you might put this extraordinary emphasis on that one person. It's because your scope is this big, and God's scope is this big. We can't focus on the smaller things. We must see what Jesus Christ is accomplishing in the bigger picture. This is why we don't send missionaries to the foreign field anymore. This is why we don't raise up pastors and evangelists and people to go out and to reach the world with the gospel. Why? Because we're not concerned about that. We're concerned about what we can accomplish in our little world. And if that were the case for Zechariah, he had every right to be complaining about the situation. But Jesus would come and impact the world. He had to accept that Jesus had a bigger purpose that Jesus had a deeper transformation power, and that Jesus had a broader reach. And when when Zechariah accepted all of those things, he embraced the fact that John would be meant for Christ. Take him, Lord. 
Your ways are bigger than my ways. Your plans better than my plans. Your thoughts way outweigh my thoughts. The last thought this morning is, at the end of this passage, he says, and you, child, verse 76, doesn't name him, just says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the, the sunrise will visit us from on high to give light to those who are in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The last thought this morning is, is Zechariah became a partaker of Christ's plan. What you'll notice in the end of this, of this song is that Zechariah embraces God's plan for his child. It's no longer God's plan for John, right? But it's now Zechariah's plan for John. It's now Zechariah prophesying over John. This is what you'll accomplish. This is what you'll do. He's accepted that it's all about Christ. He's accepted that Christ has a bigger purpose and a bigger plan and a bigger reach. He's accepted that Christ is more significant. And now he embraces for himself and says, Christ's plan, God's plan is my plan. And then what does he do? He prophesies over his son. He says, you will be. And he describes all of these things that relate to the Lord. You will be a forerunner in front of him. You will point people to him. You guys, you know the story of you know the story of Zechariah. You know the story of John, that he goes before the Lord and he just tells people how sinful they are, right? He's the prophet that tells everybody how sinful they are. Everybody loves that guy, right? And then he can't do anything about it, right? I mean, John, at least tell me all of my sins and then tell me you can do something about it. I mean, the Lord had it totally set up that John would tell everybody about their sins and he would be hated and he would be beheaded and he would point everybody to, he would point everybody to Jesus. You see, John's life would be epitomized by John 3 and verse 30 where he says, I must increase, he, I must decrease so that he can increase. How many of you want that for your child? Honestly, I mean, don't, don't raise your hand, but if you were asked the question, your child's purpose in life will be to make somebody else look really good. That's what he was saying to Zechariah. That's what Zechariah was asking to accept. Your life will be a sacrifice for somebody else's fame. He embraced for himself, not that this was God's purposes now, but now I understand, and this is my purpose. John would be identified now by what he was called to do by God. He would be a prophet, it says. He is identified by what he would accomplish for Christ, and he is identified by how he would live for Christ. This John, according to Matthew 3, would be a wild man living on clothed in camels or animal skin, camel skin. He would be eating wild honey and locust. I mean, you can just picture the guy, right? That's exactly what the Lord had planned for him. I'm sure Zechariah had the idea, you know, come on, son, get up. It's Sunday morning. Let's comb your, let's put your suit on and your tie on and let's comb your hair the right way. Let's make sure you look really good, Right? Like us, it's the way we are. It's like, let's make sure everything is all of our I's and dotted, all of our T's are crossed so that we look, so that we look, tell me, 
so that we look good. Zechariah wasn't here to make, or John wasn't here to make Zechariah and Elizabeth look good, was he? Zechariah was devoted to making Jesus Christ look good. What about us? What do we do with the things that God gives us? How tightly do we hold on to them when he demands them of us? What if Christmas was a time of sacrifices? It's difficult to consider and think about. In closing, this Christmas, as we receive gifts, as we get things and give things, let us remember these few truths. We need to have a big picture of Christ. Acknowledge his purpose, acknowledge his power, acknowledge his reach, acknowledge his impact, and acknowledge how much more significant and how much more important it is than yours. Number two, develop a view of yourself that always says, I'm willing to be secondary. There's a little video out on YouTube. It's called I Am Second. And it's people on there giving their testimony about how they're willing to be second. Are we willing to be second? Jesus says, those who will be great amongst you will be your servants. Develop a view of self this Christmas that says, I'm willing to be secondary. Let Christ be primary. And Christmas is a great time to teach our kids how important Christ is and how insignificant we are. Embrace God's purposes as your purposes. When you pray over your children, this is what, I, this is what Zechariah does. When you pray over your children, do you pray over them goals and dreams and visions that you have for them? Or do you pray over them goals and dreams and visions that God has for them? Do you pray over them what you think God's word teaches he wants them to be? Or do you pray over them things that you would like them to be because it would make you look good on the outside? There's a lot of reasons why we give gifts and receive gifts. A lot of selfish reasons. But what about when God requires something of us? You know what's interesting about the gospel? gospel? The gospel is the giving and the making of the greatest sacrifice for us, right? For our sins. Do you know what the Lord, do you know what the Lord requests back of us? Does anybody know? You know what he requests back of us? Sacrifice. That's what he requests back of us. He's like, I have made ultimate sacrifice for you. I have, so, so Jesus Christ was a gift to the world. Jesus Christ was a gift to the world for God. John was a gift to the world for God. May I submit to you that you as a Christian are a gift to the world for God. And it's going to be sacrificial to serve God because at the very epitome of Christ is sacrifice. Embrace his purpose, accept his will as your own will. And then embrace the truth that all that belong to God and he gives, that he gives and he takes as he sees fit and he's always right and he has the authority to do it. In the end, remember this. What the world, remember this please. What the world sees as sacrifice, the Lord sees as investment. Investment.
All of this sacrifice that's been spoken of this morning is built around Zechariah's fleshly perspective, not his spiritual perspective. What he had to do is move from the fleshly perspective to the spiritual perspective so that he could embrace what God was doing. Sacrifice isn't always sacrifice. The Bible tells us in Luke 7, 28, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you, among those born of women, you can finish it, can't you? There is none greater than John. Wow. Among those born of women, there is none. The world did not see it that way, but God saw it that way. The Bible tells us in closing, Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11, I'm not going to read it all to you, but it is the epitome of Jesus Christ's sacrifice that he took upon himself the form of a servant. He came into this fallen world. He, he humbled himself to the point of being a servant, to dying on the cross. And the Bible says, and God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So when you think about this morning that Christmas is a sacrifice, Christmas is not a sacrifice because serving the Lord is never a sacrifice. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the transformation that you performed in Zechariah's heart. And we pray that you would give us that same perspective, that this Christmas morning would be different. It would be unique. It would be about Christ, what he is doing in the world, that we would see his perspective on things, and we could, would see his purposes and his goals, and we would seek to give and receive gifts with him in mind. We would learn from this song of Zechariah how to respond properly in difficult times. We pray your blessing upon this day and this week that we would be able to serve you well in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.